Uh, I'm David Malley, and this is Everyday Short Stories. This month's theme was family, and our first storyteller is my mother-in-law, Virginia, who tells a very funny and interesting story about some family heirlooms. So check it out. That was amazing. You guys have such great stories, and mine is a little one. It's about chairs. <laughs> but before I tell you about my chairs, you have to know the characters, so I'm going to give you a tiny little bit of genealogy. My grandmother Ruth was born in 1892 and married her first husband, Norman, my grandfather, around 1916. My father, Albert, was born in 1918. They lived with Ruth's mother, Mary Ann, in New Jersey, in a little place called Mount Olive on a chicken farm. My grandmother told me that my grandfather was so untrained in practical skills that she had to teach him how to hold a hammer. <laughs> he was running a chicken farm. <laughs> he ultimately turned out to be a very good carpenter and then a draftsman architect. But she liked to take credit for teaching him how to hold a hammer. Who knows? Truth or fiction? After running the chicken farm for a few years, they decided to try their hand at living in California. My great-grandmother, Mary Ann, still a part of the picture, they packed up and came across the country to a little town called Sherman, which is now known as West Hollywood. Mary Ann bought property that had two or three cottages on it and started a boarding house. It was a good thing she did because the work my grandmother father was able to find working in the studios as a carpenter or singing on the radio, interesting combination, dried up pretty quickly and the Great Depression hit. My grandmother, who also was working to house and feed the boarders who all worked on the railway or the PE line or whatever, quickly grew tired of my grandfather's lack of income and sent him back east to find employment. And that was the last my father saw of his father for a long, long time. There were letters back and forth. He wanted to come home. My grandmother wouldn't hear of it until he had a sure and certain way to earn money. By then, she was working as a telephone operator for one of the first radio stations where they took requests for music on the phone. Now, this was in the 20s, so... In addition to her work in the boarding house, she had a night job. This thing to what people wanted to hear on the radio. My grandfather, tired of trying to patch up his marriage and return home, found another woman with a son my dad's age and decided to marry her. And my grandmother seemed happy to give him a divorce. My grandfather became the piano player for his new wife's brother's traveling puppet show. Eventually, that brother-in-law created Howdy Doody. Many of you won't know that name. My mother was very popular out here in California. She was happy working, leaving the boarding house to her mother to run, and leaving my dad, Albert, in her care. She dated, according to stories, a lot. My dad married my mother, Lillian, in 1940. This is a lot of backstory to get to the chairs. But <laughs> I was born in 1942. My great-grandmother died in 1945, and our little family moved to West Los Angeles. 
my grandmother stayed in West Hollywood. And during that time, she began dating a man called Dr. Bennett. He kind of looked like a smaller version of Colonel Sanders, <laughs> but without the facial hair. Or maybe to me as a kid, I remember him looking a little bit like Hopalong Cassidy, but he didn't have a cowboy hat. He was, as my grandmother said, very clean. That seemed to be a high value. <laughs> She prided herself on her immaculate clothes, shoes, hats, and purses. And apparently, so did he. Although he didn't carry a purse, <laughs> he carried a doctor's bag. He was a chiropractor, and he prescribed all kinds of incredibly smelling and foul-tasting remedies for whatever ails you. Raw sulfur, castor oil, mustard plasters, charcoal tablets. Have any of you ever eaten any of those things? Or had a mustard plaster on your chest? You name it. If it smelled, tasted bad, or burned, he prescribed. <laughs> he would also give adjustments, which meant lying on a massage table while he cracked your neck and your spine and any other bone in your whole body that was willing to realign itself according to his plan. His family lived in Wasco, which is not very far from Bakersfield, and they grow cotton there. I don't, well, they used to. I don't know if, they if you've ever been up the Highway 5, you drive right by Wasco. They visited there often. And so there they were. My grandmother kind of aligned with a traveling medicine show, and my grandfather with a traveling puppet show. As far as I know, they did not see each other again until 19... 62, even though my grandfather and his wife had moved to California in the 1950s. And that was a very frosty meeting. So now that you know the people, here's a story about the chairs. <laughs> and I have a, an audio visual here. This is a picture of one of four chairs. It's a very old chair, and it has been re-glued, refinished, and recaned. It has a, a cane seat, like many of us, <laughs> or at least it is one of four, and although they all match, they are not identical. They're old, older even than I am. My grandmother gave them to me in 1962 and told me they had been made by my grandfather. Family heirlooms, that's nice to have. Why has she kept them all these years when she had so eagerly sent him away? Who knows? So by my calculation, these chairs built by my grandfather had to have been made when he was in California between 1920 and 1929. But my father Albert and I were sharing a few drinks. Well, more than a few drinks. <laughs> One night towards the end of his life, and we were reminiscing about this and that. And I had recently had those chairs recaned, which costs a lot of money. Um, they had fallen almost apart in our garage. And when I told him how much it cost, he was horrified. He had recaned them himself on more than one occasion, and I had recaned them too. But 
He couldn't believe how much it cost to have it done by a professional, even though he knew how much work it took. But I told him I loved those chairs. They'd been part of the family for so long. They were heirlooms to me, having been made by my grandfather. He looked at me in disbelief and he said, your grandfather didn't make those chairs. <laughs> <laughs> those chairs came from somebody in Wasco, some relative of Dr. Bennett. What made you think your grandfather made them? Well, I said, you told me that, and so did my grandmother. Never. They're obviously handmade, but Virginia, not by your grandfather. Write your family stories down when you hear them. Get them notarized, double-checked, and certified. If you ever hope to get a family truth, or maybe family secrets are all any of us have. I still love the chairs. And no matter their origin, they're family heirlooms. <laughs> Hey everyone, I just wanted to give a shout out to one of our biggest supporters, McLeod's Ale Brewery Company, located in Van Nuys. Not only do they brew their own fantastic British ale, they're really establishing themselves as part of the community in Van Nuys. They host everyday short stories, yoga classes, bagpipe lessons, a dart league, and game nights. People don't just come to drink their fantastic beer, they come to be part of the wonderful community that the owners have created. Come for the ale and stay for the community. Hey, our next storyteller is Ken, my father-in-law, who comes up and tells us a story about his brother and his brother's twisted sense of humor. One of the things that uh, I've most enjoyed about family in my life is my younger brother. Um, He's a year and a half younger than me. And uh, one of the things I enjoy most about him is his sense of humor. He, uh, well, for example, one time the two of us were walking across a college uh, lawn and playing this game <coughs> based on the word gaggle, gaggle of geese. Uh, we decided it should be generalized to the entire language. And so we were trading a caggle of kangaroos, a daggle of dogs, a um, naggle of mangoes. And uh, my brother said, or a prandle of people. We walked on for a couple seconds in silence, and then I said, prandle? And he said, it's irregular. <laughs> um, Another example, my father uh, took us, had, they just moved to a retirement village, and my father took us down to see the uh, rec hall, and there was a pool table there. Uh, we'd never been around my father in a pool table before, and my brother challenged him to a game of pool, and then made the mistake of letting him brick. Uh, my brother never got his turn. My father cleaned the table perfectly. And then, not satisfied with cleaning the table perfectly, he 
uh, went on to gloat for about 15 minutes um, with all kinds of uh, wonderful humorous things, which my brother did not appreciate until finally my brother looked at him and said, well, if I misspent my youth the way you obviously misspent yours, it might be a different story. The best example, I think, though, um, is a story that my brother tells almost every chance he gets about uh, his time in high school. This is about his sense of humor. And uh, so I'm not vouching for the entire story. Uh, I'm, my guess is that parts of it are exaggerated. Uh, however, the part I can vouch for uh, is completely true, and that's the part about the goldfish. My brother entered this science uh, fair in high school and was looking for a project, and he heard that you could freeze a goldfish and bring it back to life. <laughs> and so he went out and bought a goldfish, and indeed, he successfully froze it into a solid block of ice, bought it out, and the goldfish was still alive. A successful science project. Not so good for the goldfish, because my brother had no interest in a goldfish. So he dropped it in a goldfish bowl, put it on a shelf in his bedroom, and never thought about it. Every couple of weeks or months or however long it took, I or my mother would wander into his room and see the goldfish in this much dirty water lying at the bottom and would take the goldfish out and clean it and fill the bowl with water again. And this went on and on and on, it happened time and time again. My brother's conclusion from this was that his science experiment had actually been a total failure. That he had accidentally got the world's only immortal goldfish. <laughs> so he, his, this story starts with him telling that story and then moves on to the cat. He uh, had a friend, Steve, and I can vouch for this part too. Up till here it's perfectly true. He did have a friend and his name was Steve. <laughs> um, and uh, Steve loved cats. And my brother, as he tells it, was over at his friend Steve's house one day. And uh, Steve had offered to take care of his neighbor's cat while they were gone. And so it came time to go feed the cat, and Steve <coughs> went over to feed the cat. My brother went with him. And they went into the garage where Steve usually fed the cat. And the cat was nowhere near, nowhere inside. They couldn't find the cat. And they waited and waited, and they still couldn't find the cat. Well, they kept the food in the freezer in the garage, and so Steve uh, decided they'd get the food out anyway, and maybe just put it out, and the cat would come. And when he opened the freezer, they found the cat. Frozen solid. My brother 
as he tells the story, remembered the goldfish. And said, you know, we might be able to save this cow. <laughs> but I don't know anything about bringing cats back. So Steve said, well, let's ask the twins. Now the twins, according to my brother's story, were these two guys that lived on the block who went to UCLA Medical School, both of them. They were identical, and they always dressed in white. So Steve goes, and he gets the twins, and they come over and look the situation over. And they decide that the most important thing about thawing this cat is to find something that will retard the speed at which it thaws. And they're looking around for something that will evaporate rapidly so that it will take up the heat as it's coming in and slow the thawing process for this cat. And so they um, find a can of gasoline. And they take the cat out and they start rubbing gasoline over it, hoping that this will somehow miraculously <laughs> bring this cat back. And they rub and they and, again, I can't vouch for this part, but my brother says, when he tells this story, that he's rubbing this cap and he suddenly feels this little vibration. And as he rubs, the cap is purring. And they keep doing it. And the cat gets softer and softer, and sure enough, it's purring. And... Pretty soon, its legs are bendable, and it's definitely breathing. And then, quite suddenly, it leaps out of their hands, and it goes racing around this garage, just nonstop, going, 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 this way, that way, over everything, up and down, on the shelves, everywhere. And there's a, a mattress upended against the wall on the garage. And again, this my brother tells it. This cat runs halfway up the mattress, stops, and collapses to the floor. And at this point, my brother always has this expression on his face, like, that's the story. And there's this long silence, and then someone always says, what was it, head? And he says, oh, just run out of gas. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Everyday Short Stories. I'm your host, David. If you really liked it, go to my YouTube channel or my Facebook page or even my website, everydayshortstories.com, and give us some love. And don't forget to tell your everyday short stories.